0: This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to play on the show, show, show. Our training camp coverage throughout this month brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. It is Danny and Gallant, and the Seahawks very clearly have. Not just one, but two issues that merit national attention. Two of their very best players want contracts. In other years, they might not be present because of change in rules. That's basically meant that if you hold out, if you're not there when you're under contract, they fine you $50,000 a day to start with, and that money can't be refunded to you. Like they can't, the team can't waive those fines. But Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown, they're present at training camp, but they're not practicing. That's come into full focus. It's an issue. Paul, I just think that people nationally are getting a wrong view at what the actual underlying issue is.
1: Yeah, I agree. And uh, speak for your take or first pizza. One of the shows on television in the studio in front of me, not too long ago, had a caption uh, with three talking heads yabbering about What's going on with Russ and the Seahawks? And I think it was in reference to comments that Russ made on Sunday about Dwayne Brown and Dwayne Brown's contract and Dwayne Brown's availability. We've also seen on the outside looking in, too, when it comes to Jamal Adams. I would say specifically coming out of New York, oh, Jamal Adams isn't happy. Oh, we've seen how this has gone before. So I'm on the same page as you. It does feel like there is definitely a different perception on the outside looking in at what the Seahawks are dealing with than what we are looking at as two guys who talk
0: about this team on a daily basis. I don't think Russ has much to do with either situation. Especially the Adams one. Yeah. With Dwayne Brown, maybe. And and you could—Russ clearly wants them to get a deal done, which is A, understandable, probably B, advisable. But— it's really about how he would react to that becoming a problem. I don't think Russ is I, I don't I don't think Russ is is an issue in, in the either of these. Here's Tony Kornheiser from Pardon the Interruption talking about sort of how he saw Russ speaking up on Dwayne Brown's behalf or saying that's a situation that needs to be resolved and his reaction to it.
1: So let me get this straight. Russell Wilson did indeed spend the offseason saying that his offensive line was terrible and was gonna get him killed. He insulted the offensive line, and then he insulted the franchise. He had his agent go to the franchise and give him a list of four or five teams that he'd happily be traded to, including your Chicago Bears at one point. And now he is saying, we, let me get the quote right, we need to get this deal
2: done. We, you, we, are you going to pay any of this money? You're not going to pay any of this money. You now, you want the Seattle Seahawks to make sure you're okay. If I was this
1: offensive lineman, I think I feel good that Russell Wilson was trying to get me money, but I also remember that he basically said, we stunk. You know, that's something I thought of too.
0: (laughs) I want to raise my hand and say that I felt like a management toady for the past couple days. And I feel less like a management toady now. Because I don't have any issue with Russ speaking up and saying that. I actually think it was probably a good move on his part. Not only is it understandable, but if you're a player on the team, you should want your best teammates to be out there for the season. What he said is totally understandable. It doesn't mean I'm going to listen to it if I'm the general manager. But I did not have, when I heard it, I did not think, oh, that's really rich coming from you. I was like, no, that's that's how a quarterback should feel about his left tackle. I still chuckled, though, because it is different than
1: what he was saying about the offensive line needing to be better earlier this offseason. It's different. Now, it's smart. As you said a little bit earlier, definitely advisable. This is a good way to maybe get back in the good graces of one Dwayne Brown. But he is a part of some
0: of the sacks that took place last year. He... I don't want to blow out of proportion what Russ said about the offensive line. He did not say they stink. Right? He was, he was not criticized. And I, I am firmly on the side of Russ shouldn't have said that. And, and right away when he said it, I was like, that's going to cause some issues. But Russ was, maybe indelicately, Russ was trying to criticize the team's approach to the offensive line. And not right. as much. That, that's, his goal was to say, we haven't put money. We didn't go sign Jack Conklin. And I, we didn't, we didn't pay money to re sign veterans that, that ended up going and signing elsewhere. We've not spent top dollar on our offensive line. Right. That's, that's what his goal was. It came out much worse than that, but that's, he wasn't saying, I don't like my offensive line.
1: And my issue was that's a kindergartner approach at building a roster in the NFL. You don't just spy every single offensive lineman out there. And by the way, the offensive line took a positive step forward last year, and you're out of your mind if you think otherwise. So that was my issue with what he said. It wasn't based in reality, and you're a big part of the sacks that took place last year. Chill, bro.
0: All right, let's go to Michael Wilbon, the partner on Pardon the Interruption, and these are not normal hot taker guys. Like, they're not, they're not the people that are, hey, how can I come up with it? They, they generally tend to be, well, not the, the fine voice of reason. Stew. Yeah, like, they're, they, they generally tend to. A little more to, substance to it. Let's hear what Wilbon had to say about Russ and his feelings about his offensive lineman needing to get taken care of.
1: Sign into a short-term deal. Give him a bunch of money guaranteed for one year and get him out there if he's the guy protecting Russell Wilson's blind side. This has to happen. There's no two ways about it. Seattle plays in a difficult division. You got a participant in that division winning the Super Bowl, okay? The 49ers, they're not just going to roll over for them, and I think Arizona's pretty good at least. So the Seattle Seahawks better do this, not for Russell Wilson, but for the club's well-being. Or you know what they can do? They can get him sacked like 56 more times and start 0-4 and be out of it before we get to Columbus Day. Uh, uh, Uh-uh. Uh-uh. 56. No. You know, maybe forty, and then you would add like the sixteen in. That would be Russell Wilson's fault. Perhaps it's a little bit more. Come on, you got to at least put a third of those sacks on Russ.
0: Now, is Wilbon right there that I've advocated and said, "Hey, if Seattle decides that it's not the time to extend Dwayne Brown, whether that's because what D- Brown is asking for is significantly large, or because they just say that hey, he's turning thirty-six, and and we're we're, we're not going to." That's not an advisable investment. Does it change the math given where this team is at in this current season with this quarterback?
1: And that's tricky because you aren't one hundred percent sure about the future because of the Correct. way that things went this past off season. Hmm, is this what's
0: the best move for the current? What's the best? Do move you for add the f- future? a four million dollar sweetener like Dwayne Brown? for this upcoming season is going to make, I think he's scheduled to make $10 million and it's about average for a left tackle salary in the league. Do you throw some money on top of it and try to say, Hey, we're not going to add a year, but we're going to, we're going to put some sugar in your coffee. I think sugar in the coffee is great. I, I but is that what he wants? You know, I, there's a part of me. No, no. What he wants is probably two years added to the deal. Exactly. What he wants is, is two years and for one of those, for, for one of those years to be entirely guaranteed. Don't that's you, probably, probably what he's looking for.
1: Don't you think they would have offered a Swedener by now? And we don't know what's going on behind the table. But I, I mean, I feel like that's the obvious move to make here because that way you do give yourself the flexibility going forward and you can still see what happens over the course
0: of this coming season. That's how I tend to feel is that if they saw an easy – and maybe, maybe maybe this is waiting until Jamal Adams' contract gets done. I feel like the two conversations, the two negotiations are at very different points, and I don't think Russ factors in all that much to either of them. I think that Russ is hoping in both instances the guys get paid. Yeah. He's hoping that because all players want other players to get paid. They they Russ Russ's concern is not about the long-term salary cap projection. It's about getting the best team out there on 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 the field right now. With Jamal Adams, I think you've made The Seahawks have made what they feel is a very good offer. They believe it will eventually get done, and it's ultimately going to be up to Jamal Adams whether or not he wants to accept that, the guaranteed money that comes with it, or does he want to take an approach like Dak Prescott did in which he moves toward free agency, says it's not enough yet. I I, I think that that one's a pretty straightforward one. The one with Dwayne Brown is trickier. The one with Dwayne, Dwayne Brown is tougher because you love him as a player. You love what he is as a leader. But you don't love the idea of extending and offering future guarantees two and three years down the road to an offensive lineman who is turning 36.
1: Yeah, that's the big question, is do you feel that he's going to be this guy next year and in the years to come? I do. I I feel like this is going to continue, assuming he doesn't get hurt, and I'm not going to operate as if a 36-year-old is just definitively going to get hurt. So this is why yesterday I— am willing and still am willing to give Brown what he's looking for because I I, I don't think that you have an alternative here
0: that works for you. I'm not willing to do it. And the reason I'm not willing to do it is going to point in part to precedence that every time that we felt this way about a veteran in Seattle and Seattle has shown it's reluctant to go to the price that that veteran is asking whether it was Jadevian Clowney or Earl Thomas the franchise has looked like it had the right bead has, has looked like it pegged the right number and it would have regretted going over to meet that veteran and make that veteran happy. And while I understand the circumstances feel more urgent now, I think that you end up regretting the deals you do way more than the deals you don't do. That makes sense.
1: And I would say that based off of their track record that we discussed earlier this morning, that there haven't been many regrets as far as the deals that they have made.
0: There's two guys that I think Seattle should have extended that they didn't, or you would you would look at it and say it's it's Frank Clark, and it's it's Golden Tate. Both of those guys were on their rookie contracts, so they're at a different point in right. their career. They, they they were they were younger with and each came with different considerations. With Golden Tate, when Tate was entering his fourth season, he'd really only had a year and a half. Half the time, he'd been a productive, good receiver. He, his first year and a half were really, really large. So you didn't have the full body of work from him. It wasn't like he was DK Metcalf for his first three years. Like he was he was a really good player for you the, the, the second year and a half, for half of that that three years. And you also just acquired Percy Harvin, who was a better player and a more talented player. He's just someone that had the unfortunate tendency of handing out black eyes. And Frank Clark, uh, you tried to get an extension done with. But- you, you, you tried to get an extension done with him, and then it ended up his price ended up going to $20 million based on how he played in his, in his contract year, and you traded him and you got some good value for him in the interim, and since then, is he worth the $20 million? For Kansas City, yeah, but they weren't paying their quarterback yet. And now he's got a, a machine gun Clark on, on his resume, and you got to wait and see how that's going to turn out. You make better oozy noises than me. <laughs> Much better. It's Danny Galant. It's time for us to go around the NFL. <laughs> it's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at nine fifteen with Danny and Galant. Today's an exceptional day. Why not, mora
2: Hey, hey, hey! I didn't think we'd be making Uzi noises at
0: this. Yeah, so. that—that's something that's become kind of a thing. Call him <laughs> Machine Gun Clark.
2: It's <laughs> a good nickname. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Honestly. Yeah. We're
0: just gonna, it's kind of like the Deshaun Watson thing. Nobody's gonna mention it. Nobody will talk to him, and we'll just pretend that none of, none of that stuff's ever happening. We're like, oh, is Deshaun Watson good? I saw the headline today. Deshaun Watson may not play in preseason opener. It's like, oh, we're just we're just gonna, yeah. Oh, oh it's his yeah. football availability that's the real question. It does feel like legal matters
1: are getting pushed further and further on the back burner than they have been in years past and that this might be something that we don't actually see resolved until potentially I don't know next year so he might play the whole season without even maybe missing a game
2: all right guys well we are only what a, a few weeks into training camp now we've yep. got to uh,
1: two
0: weeks
2: yeah we're, we're just getting into the preseason here this week and Bruce Arians is already disappointed in his offense
1: probably the worst offensive practice we've had in three years yeah um, Kind of a pattern of behavior now after a day off our offense just stinks and they got to break that habit but uh, defensively they answered the bell they came out and uh, dominated the entire practice and uh, it was good to see what
2: do you think the reason is why the offense struggles coming off a day off
1: ask them i mean you can't be warned more than uh, every week so uh, drop passes missed assignments on basic plays it's just a lack of concentration
0: He's such a blowhard. Like that. Come on. Whatever. I roll. I, I sprained my eyes rolling that. You just won the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, but don't you have to be hard on your team after you just won the Super Bowl to make sure that they're
0: focused? Is he being hard on his team, or is he wanting to look like he's hard on his team? I don't know if the optics
1: are that big of a
0: play in this situation. It's how he wants people around the league to look at him. Well, it's he won a Super Bowl. Does he, a does he care
1: Does he care anymore about what other people think about him? I wouldn't.
0: Well, then why is he going out and saying that and, and posing like Captain Tough Guy, it being the worst practice they've had in three years that he's been there as a head coach?
1: But it's been consistent with what he was last year, too. I mean, this is just his way of trying to get under the skin, I imagine, of his team. This is
0: I the, guess. This is
1: the psychology battles that he plays with Tom Brady, I think, too.
0: That's why I think he's annoying. Like, that, that right there is why I think that Bruce Arians, who seems to be relatively well-liked by his players and does a lot of things that I really like, that's why I think he's annoying. So, Oh, it's the worst practice. Who cares? Who cares? Your team won a Super Bowl. Shut up. <laughs> Go drink some paint. I don't
1: know, man. I, I, I think that when you have a team that has not been accustomed to success, to get these guys to... Recommit the year after an improbable Super Bowl, run, Super Bowl run, where they close things out really strong. I think it's going to take more than just Tom Brady yelling at everybody for them to potentially get there. You're the one that has doubts about the Bucks this season, don't
0: you? Yes, yes, I do. And and this this makes me more doubtful of them, not less. Of like, oh, his his firm hand is really going to knock them back on track. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, Bucks aren't making the playoffs.
2: All right, no more betting.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
2: <laughs> um, all right, next up, we have a, another coach that likes to be uh, act a bit hard, uh, Dan Campbell, the new coach of the Lions. Um, he's glad that the Lions don't have any slackers on the team, but he says it in a very Dan Campbell way.
1: And I, I think Patrician Quinn did a great job of, there's no turds here. There's no bad guys. Like, these guys work now, you know. We don't have guys, uh, I'm lazy,
0: blah, blah. We don't really have those guys.
2: What's the NFL roster with the most
0: turds? Well, for a long time, it was Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's, be, let's be very clear. For a long time, it was Cincinnati. Um, give me a second. I'll come back with the, the, the team that I think has the most guys that are self-interested. Um, I, I like Dan Campbell. I didn't think I was going to say that. I, I I like Dan Campbell.
1: Yeah, I like Dan Campbell, too, and I think the coaching staff that he has around him is really good in Detroit. I've said this a couple of times. I, I don't think Detroit's
0: going to be the worst team in the NFL this season. I think that they're going to be annoying. I agree with you. Yeah, I think I they agree, will be annoying. I agree, I, I agree with you. I, I like his coaching staff. There's also a level of honesty in Campbell that is missing in Arians. Mm. Like there's, and when they were going... People scrutinized Campbell last week because he talked about two players fighting. It was a DB, and it was the receiver from... It's the receiver from USC, uh, Amon Ra, Saint, Saint Brown. Brown. They got into a fight, and he was asked about it. And he was like, "Look, you don't want to fight in games, but two guys being pushed to the point where they're seeing red at each other and learning to operate like how how are you how do you play when you get that mad? And maybe it boils over in practice. And somebody was like, "Well, how do you balance that with the fact that in a game it'll cost you fifteen yards in a penalty?" And he's like. You tell him you can't fight in games because it'll cost you 15 yards. <laughs> it's practice. It's not a game. I was like, you know what? Like, he's speaking with a level of non-posturing. Like, he's just being—I I like Dan Campbell. And, yeah, I I, I think that does say something because I think sometimes when you, get, when you get a team that has had a GM and a coach that have been run out of there, what's left is a lot of guys who are beaten down and don't care. And I, I think he's looking at it and saying he likes the personnel that's there.
1: Do we define turd in Dan Campbell's mind? Is that someone who doesn't work hard? Or is that someone who's a...
2: He was talking about laziness,
0: so La- yeah. Okay. Yeah. S- yes. Someone, someone who is more self-interested as opposed to working for the team. Who, if you gave them a choice between going 10 and 7 and going 5 and 12 and you make the same amount of money... The the turd is the guy that's like I don't really care about the team's success as long as I get mine.
1: Man, I got to think about this one too. I'm struggling. I, I, you know, I, I think in years past you could have put it, uh, you could have pointed at the Steelers, but there's no Antonio Brown, there's no Le'Veon Bell anymore. Um, outside of that, yeah, that's hard. That's a, that's a really good question. We're gonna have to think on that one. Maybe nine thirty.
2: <laughs> All right, one uh, last quick one here. Uh, Peter King's Football Morning in America column yesterday featured a few different training camps that he went to. And in Seahawks training camp, he got this story from Quandre Diggs. Uh, It says, seems that last winter, the day that the Stafford trade to the Rams was announced, Quandre Diggs' phone buzzed, a FaceTime request from his former teammate, Matt Stafford. Diggs answered it, looked at his screen, and it was Stafford and Rams coach Sean McVay together in Cabo calling him. Stafford said to Diggs, man, better back up. We're throwing deep. I'm predicting a Quandre digs pick six week five when the Rams come to town. He's I had hope one that's before.
0: That's true. McVeigh Mc, is is McVeigh the broiest bro of all the coaching bros. I think he bros more he's than all there. the other bros.
1: But I think he's trying
0: hard to be that bro where I he's, think Cliff Kingsbury naturally Cabo. the bro. Go ahead and give Quandre a call. Tell him we're going to throw it deep
1: <laughs> over his head. It comes off naturally for Cliff. I I, I think I think Sean's the guy who tags along.
0: Yeah, Sean's the little chihuahua where Cliff is the big bulldog. Like, Cliff's the guy who's actually really, really, really good looking. And McVeigh's just the guy that's covered in Axe body spray.
2: That's a, really,
0: that's a good... I like that call. not bad State- Stay tuned, 710 ESPN Seattle today. We're giving away four packs of Mariners tickets in each of our shows. you got to listen for your cue to call, and you could win four tickets to this Friday's Mariners game, Mariners fireworks night when they host the Blue Jays, then light up the night sky to your favorite tracks from the 1990s. Tickets at mariners.com. You're going to have your chance to win in the next half hour. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. It's funny, going through the teams and trying to find sort of the least committed, trying to find a nicer way than the, the word Dan Campbell used to describe how uh, how hardworking and uh, virtuous his locker room is. I'm not coming up with teams that I feel are stock full of guys who don't care. I do think there are a couple teams... Who I could see the players quitting on the coach, Joe Judge, Joe Judge in New York. I think his second year there. The other team that I would say is the Las Vegas Raiders. With Uh, John John Gruden has a tendency to his teams fade in the second half of years. Like it's a it's a trend that now goes beyond his time with the Raiders. It includes his time with the Bucks. He wears out his welcome with teams, and he's been there. He's been there for a significant chunk of time now, and I think that you're going to start to see him point more fingers if they're not successful this year.
1: Guys are literally retiring on Joe Judge, as you brought up. And I'm with you on the Gruden one. As far as others, I have a hard time seeing anybody buying into Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. especially without the backing of a strong franchise-caliber quarterback, which I don't yeah. think Jalen Hurts is. You know, It's going to be hard, I think, to... Have a young coach that really hasn't done much outside of been the, I guess, heir to, um, uh, shoot, who was the offensive coordinator for Frank Reich back in the day? Was it a Frank Reich? Uh, anyway, uh, whatever the case, like I, I just don't think in Indianapolis. Yeah, the guy coming from Indianapolis as offensive coordinator, Nick Sirianni, I don't think he's going to do a lot. I think he's a puppet. Also, I, I would say in Houston, while there's a lot of guys who are playing for their jobs there. I think there's some other guys who are like, all right, this is probably my last go ride.
0: You've got an uncertain... That's a, that's a team that could be in transition depending on what happens with, with Deshaun Watson. Seattle is in a much different spot because they are a team loaded with veterans that believes it knows what to expect. I think that the longer-term question for, for Seattle, and Peter King mentioned it. Peter King from Football Morning in America on NBC Sports. He was He was in town last week and said that Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll have said all of the right things about their relationship and how things were hashed out and how they talked after Russell's interview with Dan Patrick. He mentioned one specific sort of really long sit-down meeting that the, that the two of them had and that feel that the relationship is there and that Russell told Peter that, hey, he wants to finish his career in Seattle. Peter said he's not so sure about, about how long-term, how, the, the satisfaction and long-term contentment that it has, I think a lot of that depends upon this year. Who's, who's got more at stake this year based on Russell's performance? Is it Russ, and how people view him across uh, across the league? after a second half in which he he went from being an MVP favorite to not really being a candidate, and some people even thinking he struggled that second half. Or is it the Seahawks, who Russell kind of put on notice in the offseason, saying, I'm not happy with how things have gone, and it needs to be better. Otherwise, we should start looking at potential changes.
1: I think it's for Russ. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, just based off of what we're hearing on Sunday, he finally has more freedom. He had that conversation with Pete. Carol that Peter King highlights. Did that conversation lead to Pete saying, okay, we're going to let you do this. We'll see how it goes. And and there's, you know, in that Peter King piece, he he mentions how Wilson seems to feel more open to telling receivers exactly where they should be on a given route. It feels like he's a little more hands-on and while he is definitely working with Shane Waldron, it feels as if Waldron is maybe deferring a little bit while he installs this new offense to Russ. And I think we're going to find out whether or not that's actually smart, if that's good, which is, I think, for a lot of people, pretty exciting to think about. We're finally going to figure out if more control for Russell Wilson is really good, but I don't think that by default it's going to work out, if that makes sense.
0: There's some uncertainty in your mind about whether or not Russ being given more carte blanche even if he doesn't have sort of Peyton Manning level control you're not sure I think Russ has been every every time Russ has been given an opportunity he's made the most of it so I'm I'm excited to see what he makes of this I expect and the measurement really here is going to be is he better in the second half than he was in the first half I think there's still going to be a learning curve in the first half I think the biggest thing that's at stake this year is how Russell feels about the team How Russell feels about the direction. And if this season doesn't get to the point that he's happy with or doesn't get further than it has in recent years, if they don't make the conference championship game or don't make the Super Bowl, will he feel that things have run its course here in Seattle and it might be time for him to start fresh somewhere else and get a second opportunity?
1: You'd certainly have more of a case than Aaron Rodgers has over the last two years because they've been 13-3 and and have made the NFC Championship game the last two, while Russell Wilson's teams have, you know, since the Legion of Boom days, their playoff victories... I, I think you could look at all of them and say, "Eh, you know, like, what have they really done in the postseason?" And I know you don't, you know, it's hard to win a game in the NFL, but you know, you went on a missed Blair Walsh field goal, you beat the Lions, you beat Josh McCown.
0: You know, that's that's essentially the the those are your three playoff wins since the last Super Bowl appearance.
1: Exactly. I mean, so you, you, and in the second round, you haven't done anything. So I can understand why he would get to that point. Definitely, I do think this is a good situation for him, and I also think that he's going to have to be patient a little bit because. For Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, it did not gel the same way that it did last year in year one. And I know that, it, you know, quarterbacks are all going to look at themselves and have ego and perhaps not look at it objectively and say, you know what, this situation took time. Maybe, maybe the situation I'm in is also going to take more than one year.
0: We're also entering the point where Russ is entering the second phase of his career. If he hasn't rendered it already. Where it's not going to be his athleticism. That is the most difficult thing for teams to defend. It has to be the way he commands an offense, right? Like it's if we haven't already gotten to the point where he can't survive on his escapability and doing things that defenses can't account for, he has to start making plays that defenses can't can't account for because he understands what they're doing. He has to start start outthinking defenses. We're very firmly, if not already, hip deep there. We're we're in that part of his career. He can still run effectively. But he can't outrun a bad play. He can still take advantage of things that open up to him. But he's not going to be able to allow. His elusiveness in the past would make him able to sort of create a counterpunch toward anything a defense throw out him. Oh, they, they guessed right. They're all set. Oh, I'm just going to scramble enough to get, to get rid of that. We'll see how he handles that part of it. It is Danny and Gallant. Before we raise flags, we do want to give you your opportunity to win the third caller right now. The third caller who is able to uh, call 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. Wait one minute if you're listening on the radio, 30 seconds if you're on the stream. Caller number three will win four tickets to the Mariners' 1990s fireworks night. That's this Friday, August 13th. Stay tuned to 710 ESPN Seattle for your next chance to win. We raise flags coming up next. From the pocket and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now
2: there's a flag down.
0: Every morning at 9.45 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. It is that time where we take stock of all that has occurred and sort things. We put them into the good, raising a flag. The bad, throwing a flag. Or maybe even offer some revisions by picking up a flag. Mora, would you like to go first this morning?
2: Sure. I think I might go with what I was just reading to you guys during the break. Um, apparently, this company uh, named one poll, surveyed U.S. residents to see if they believe they have what it takes to compete in the Olympics. And nearly 40% of Americans decided that they are fit enough to be an Olympic athlete. Jeez. I'm going to throw a flag on how delusional we are now as, as a people.
0: Is it any event? <laughs> because if, if you said 40% of the country thinks that they could curl. In the Olympics, like physically, you could curl, like you couldn't yeah, actually maybe do the. Sp- you could, you couldn't actually. It, it's not fitness that would be the barrier toward you being able. It would be practice there, repetitions and all those things. There is speed walking now in the Olympics. That's hard though. Like there's technique involved and stamina. Yeah, like 40 percent of this country could not speed walk. Like they couldn't. They couldn't finish a speed walking event at the. They they would not have the stamina to be able to finish that. Okay.
2: I will say I watched a badminton match and I was kind of like, this seems like you might be, and I'm sure I couldn't. I'm sure they would be way better than me, but it just seems weird to be in the Olympics. Honestly, I played the, it in my backyard growing up. Like,
0: yeah, the shuttlecock, uh, which is I believe the implement that you hit in the, in the in the badminton, they've got it's like goose feathers that they have in the Olympic shuttlecock. It's what? it's perfectly designed. If anybody ever wants to see something really funny, uh, Mary Carrillo, I believe on Real Sports, did a analysis of, of badminton, <laughs> which is absolutely hilarious. And she talks about the, the sensor that the shuttlecock has for going into the tree, and that's missing from the Olympic shuttlecocks. It was very funny. Could I, you, if you were going to be in the Olympics, what sport would it be? What would you have your best shot at making it in? Man, that's hard. Because even as a flag football legend, you know it's it's
1: difficult for me to really think about one spot where I think I excel, even in the top ten percentile. You just call of
2: yourself a flag football legend? Well, I am. Yeah. You know,
1: I you know only played in two games, lead the league in interceptions, no big deal. Uh, this is one of those things where I I can't think of one other than like the speed walking or the ones that to me don't seem like they're actually sports. But even then, I as you just said, there's probably some sort of technique that I would have to master over years. And years and years. I, I i don't know.
0: Bobsled? <laughs> what about modern pentathlon? That one got a lot of attention uh, this year because a uh, horse was uncooperative. Oh, yeah. yeah. I saw that. No,
1: that seems like it would be the most difficult thing
0: riding a horse. Do you, do you know why that part? So. If anybody that, the modern pentathlon consists of five events and there was a woman she won the gold she won the bronze in 2016 came back this year she was leading going into the final event which is show jumping but you don't get to use your horse you get randomly assigned a horse
1: Oh that's that's
0: The horse she was assigned was not having it.
1: Oh, yeah. There's been a lot of memes made of of his little smirk
0: that he had before he went all buck wild. And he wouldn't jump, and she was crying, and then her coach ended up getting thrown out of the Olympics because she hit the horse after it. Like, it was a big mess. What was fascinating to find out was why that event is the way it is, which is it's meant to reflect what would happen if you got behind the lines in a modern warfare situation and had to commandeer another cavalry member's horse and then operate that horse behind enemy lines. Wow. Like that's that's the rationale for why you don't get to use your horse.
2: Well, crying and hitting the horse is not the solution, ma'am. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Imagine if you started crying at the
0: horse in the middle of war. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was bad. The coach, The coach got
1: sent home too. Paul, what's your flag? This one is frustrating. You know, there's been a lot of criticism, and I understand why, directed at Kirk Cousins for his anti-vaccination stance, which he has been very public about. But can we please ask Lamar Jackson what it is that he is waiting for? He's had COVID twice. Per his head coach, John Harbaugh, the symptoms have been bad twice. His reaction to it, in a conversation with reporters on Monday, I just got off the COVID list. I got to talk to my team about this and see how they feel about it. They feel bad, Lamar. Keep learning as much as I can about it. It's bad, Lamar. Look, I understand that everybody has their own opinions about the vaccine. If you want to play football and you've had this happen to you twice, clearly you're not developing any immunity from getting it. So maybe, I don't know, you've got to think about alternative measures to make sure that you're going to be on the football field for all 17 games of this coming season. Just me. But Lamar, I don't think there's much that you have to learn. Flag on you.
0: We've heard that phrase used a lot about I need to learn more to look into it. Is it a matter of learning more at this point or is it a matter of reevaluating what your base beliefs are? Like, is that when, when, gotta when be the ladder around to, right? He's like, learned it the hard
1: way, literally, twice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I want to raise a flag for the Seattle Mariners who return home tonight and open a homestand that is going to be very important. And in the last homestand where they had seven games against the A's and the Astros, we saw what I consider to be some of the most enthusiastic Really just encouraging crowds we've seen in Seattle. My fear is that that enthusiasm is going to be diluted by the road trip that was just concluded in which the Mariners went 4-6. and And my hope is that it's not. I want to see Seattle get back on the winning side of things. I think they're playing good baseball. But more than anything, we need to recognize how incredibly positive a sign this season has been and is be, is in the process of being for this team's future. And I really hope that there's no there, there's nobody has under the impression that this is anything but a great sign for this team going forward and that the playoff hopes that I will admit that I got swept up in it's not like they suddenly vanished. They were always a long shot, but we should be really encouraged by the direction where this team is is headed and I hope when they get back to town tonight because it was starting to feel like it was starting to feel like what it was when you had strong crowds that were captivated by this team you started to feel that and i hope that we continue to build off of that because it be i think this team's going to be really fun i think this team is going to be i think this team is going to be great sooner than we expect it and and i want to keep that building here so that's that's my hope i want to raise a flag for the baseball the mariners have played this year and the reasons that they've give, given us to be optimistic about their future It's going to do it for us today. The Seahawks back out on the field for training camp. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Want to thank Ray Roberts, Shannon Dreyer for both joining us as guests. Thank Brock Heward for being with us to tell us stories of his Lear Jets, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, and A Little Blue 42. The professor, John Clayton, is with us for the morning drive. Maura Dooley, who keeps it on the straight and narrow, and he is Paul Gallant. And there is talk about flag football becoming an Olympic sport.
1: He is Danny O'Neil, and as much as I would love to be, you know, as a flag football legend, a part of that, I don't know that I would even be able to make that. And he is going to take all of my candy by the end of the year. We already have a NFC West uh, agreement between the two of us. So long, farewell. You'll hear Danny and I tomorrow at seven.